Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week, we are launching a brand new series entitled How to Be Rich, as well as celebrating the event that kicked off the Reformation over 500 years ago. Leading us in both our celebration of Reformation Sunday and our new series kickoff is our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we can sing along with that song, It is well with my soul. It is well with our soul. Peace like a river. Lord, some of us are going through some tough times. It doesn't feel very at peace at home in our own lives. We don't feel it. We're going through a lot of stressors in life, a lot of big decisions. We're not feeling a whole lot of peace. But Lord, I thank you for the fact that we can come in and sing that with full confidence and assurance that you do love us. That no matter what's going on, that you care for us, that you're with us through the good times and the bad. Lord, thank you for the fact that you speak to us as well to get us through this life. And thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you speak to us now. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart. And that you do impress upon us the message you want us to hear. And I ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Jared, one of the pastors here. So glad that you're here with us. As you can see, uh, we are in this series, uh, or t- today's the Reformation Sunday. It's, it's a great a thing to be able to celebrate 500 years. It really is the birth of the Reformation. And you saw that video, that, that first video that we showed uh, when he walked in. Uh, if, you, if you saw it, it talked about the five solas. So let me, let me give you the three-minute history. Let me just tell you. Because what had happened was, after the Reformation, the five different statements or phrases came off of that. That's why you, maybe you've heard all week the five solas or the solas. Five solas is Latin for uh, slogans. That's where we get the word uh, slogan, five slogans. And so because of what Martin Luther did, we now have five slogans. The first one is this, sola scriptura, scripture alone. The Bible alone is our highest authority. And so what was happening before is, you know, they, the people maybe before the Reformation or the Catholic Church were kind of using maybe different forms of Scripture. And what, what Martin Luther is saying is, no, no, we, we want to get back to the original Scriptures. You see, we understand the Bible is our source of authority. Those 66 books are inspired. They're the Word of God. And everything we do and say and live, everything we understand is really through those Scriptures. The next two really were, were pivotal uh, for Martin Luther because one of the things about the Reformation is it really tried to get Christianity back to what Christ had, was, was teaching. And the Reformation really tried to usher that in. And so the next two uh, solas or slogans really mean a lot to us here today. Because there were sola fide, which means faith alone. We are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And the third one kind of goes hand in hand. Sola gratia, which means grace alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone. Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. The idea of, hey, people are trying to earn it. People are trying to do things, pay indulgences, or, or come to church, or do certain good deeds... And what the reformers were saying is, hey, listen, that doesn't earn salvation. Those are good things, but salvation is by, by, by the grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ who loves us, who, who died for us on the cross, that takes away our penalty. We can only stand before God by his grace. That's what the reformation means to us today. Not only that, it was solus Christus, another statement that came out of it. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone is our Lord and Savior. 
You know, before this time, many people would go to the Catholic Church. People were saying, salvation, you can't have salvation outside the Catholic Church. And so oftentimes people would say, I can't even come to pray to the Lord because I needed to go through a priest to do it. We've had people come in to uh, myself, I'm sure Pastor Jamie said, hey, could you pray for me? Which we're happy to do. But understand, we, I always tell people, listen, you can pray as well. You can come to the Lord. If you know and love him, you can come to the Lord yourself. Solus Christos, Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, Savior, and King. And he paved the way when he died for us. And then the last phrase, solia deo gloria, that great song we sing at Christmas, means to the glory of God alone. We live for the glory of God alone. In other words, when we come to salvation, it does improve our lives because we have a peace, just like Brad's saying. We have direction in life. But that's not the sole purpose. That's the byproduct. That's the byproduct. We, we live for God's glory. That's why 1 Corinthians, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all in the glory of God. Those five statements or slogans have meant so much to us because they reorient us back to what the scriptures have said to us from the very get-go. What Christ was teaching us. You know, it's interesting that, as you saw in that video that uh, we just saw, that one of the things that was happening is people were looking at different means of salvation. They were using their money to try to earn salvation, right? So they were trying to buy indulgences, meaning they were trying to buy these like merits or passes and in order to, to make up for some of their sins. And the, the, the leaders at the time were, were getting rich, okay? We're getting rich because of that. Well, it hit us a few months ago when, you know, we planned this series a few months out. And then about a month ago, I was sitting down with the pastors and we were looking at this. And uh, uh, I think it was Pastor Jamie uh, brought it to my attention. He said, uh, you realize that we're going to be talking about the early church, uh, Catholic church leaders trying to get rich. And the new series is called How to Be Rich. And I went, uh, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't really not good planning at all um, by any means. Probably should have thought about that and gave that some thought. So we actually sat. I remember sitting over the, um, near my office and we thought, man, we should maybe change the message for this morning because here we are, we're talking about this new series, this new book, How to Be Rich, yet we're, we're like condemning the early church leaders for trying to become rich. And then I realized, you know, first off, this book isn't how to become rich, it's how to be rich because we already are rich. Then I realized, you know, how people dealt with their money 500 years ago is kind of similar to how we deal with it today, isn't it? You see, people had their money back then said, I'm going to use my money for uh, security and salvation and happiness. Well, what do we do today? We do the same thing, don't we? We use the money for security and happiness. Everything we have, our worlds are focused around finances. Some of you are thinking about your finances here even now. And one of the things I want you to do is I want to encourage you to get this book. It's in our bookstore. This is going to radically transform your life when it comes to your finances. This is not a self-help book. This is not, uh, it's not chapter one, stocks and bonds, and chapter two is real estate investment. It's not that, okay? If you're here for that, welcome. Glad you're here. Um, this is not a self-help meeting. Uh, this is how to be rich. Why? Because we already are rich, aren't we? And that's what first, that's what, that's what first Timothy is all about. It's in your service sheets if you have it. 1 Timothy 6, 17, it's the basis for this whole thing. Why? Money is, uh, how we deal with our finances is huge. You know, the Bible talks more about money than anything else. And so people go, oh, man, the, the church is talking about money again. Well, I'm talking about money because the Bible talks a lot about money and how we deal with our money, how we deal with our finances. It's how we live. Many of us are going to go into work tomorrow or work today and go, you know what, this, it's about money, about earning certain things. And this verse helps reorient us, that reminds us that we are rich. It says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, 
but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. That's the idea of this book. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Notice, this isn't how to become rich, it's how to be rich. Why? Because we already are rich. We already are rich. Isn't it amazing that, if you think about it, we can work, many of us, can work for five days, it's the standard work week, work for five days, but have seven days worth of food and shelter. Not only that, that a lot of times we only have one, maybe two breadwinners in the house, but we're providing for three, four, five people at one time. If you ever go to a third world country, tell them that. Say, yeah, you know what, in America we only work for five days and we actually can um, live off seven. It would blow their minds. Not only that, it's because we, have, we only work for five days, we have 40 hours, or excuse me, 50 hours of, of just luxury. 50 hours to do whatever we want. Try telling that to somebody in a third world country that, hey, for 50 hours a week, we can do whatever we want. Exercise, we can go to the movies, go out to dinner, whatever we want. You're rich. Congratulations. In fact, I want you to get this book. It's like 10 bucks. If you can get this book, which I know most of you can, you're already rich. Because most people in the world couldn't afford this. But it'll transform your life. Let me ask you another question. If I said to you, hey, I've got a job for you, and I, I can offer you $37,000 a year, would you be rich? Now, when I was in college, I'd go, yeah, I'll take that. Uh, most of us now, especially with families, we go, you know what, that's, 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 a, that's a fair amount of money, but that's probably not going to make me wealthy compared to American standards. $37,000 a year, probably not going to put me over the edge, Okay. Probably not going to say I'm rich because of that. Did you know if you made $37,000 a year, you're in the top 4% of the world? Top 4% of the whole world. 96% of the entire world makes less than that. You're in the top 4%. Congratulations, you're rich. In fact, we have a great missions program here. We have Encounter Dominican, where we've been going to trips. I want to encourage you to go, because it will open your eyes. It's not only a mission for the people in Dominican, it's going to be a mission for you as well. It's going to change your life as much as it changes them. When you go to a third world country, many of you have. Some of you went to Encounter Uganda. That was the ministry that we had for 10 years prior. We're still uh, in cahoots there. We're still working with that uh, ministry as well. If you ever go to one of those places, you realize pretty quickly that what you deal with here in America are what I call rich people problems. Bad cell phone coverage? That's a rich person problem. Can't decide where to go to college? That's a rich person problem. Did your computer crash? It's a rich person problem. Don't like Brad's music? That's a rich person problem. (laughs) Car trouble, flight delays, Amazon not have your size? That's a rich person problem. Don't like the new floors in the commons? Rich person problem. (laughs) Wi-Fi not working out there? Rich person problem. Have to wait for a table when you go for lunch after this? It's a rich person problem. I'm telling you this because you need to understand that we already are rich. This book isn't how to become rich. It's talking about how to deal with the riches that we already have. Now listen, we're not trying to make you feel guilty. Some people go, oh, you're trying to make us feel guilty. No. Guilt is never a motivation for long-term good deeds and service. That's not a good emotional tool. Uh, Gratitude is, though. You see, you can, you can feel guilty for some point and say, okay, we're going to do this, going to do that. That's going to fade over time. Gratitude is longer, it lasts longer, and there's a bigger emotional response for that. All we want you to do is you to understand when you walk out of here is you already are rich. The other thing, too, is rich is a moving target. 
They did a study. They said they'd asked people who made $30,000 a year. They said, how much uh, would you uh, need to make in order to feel rich? And many of them said 60. And then they asked people who made 50. They said, how much do you need to feel rich? And most of those people said 100. Then they asked people who made 100,000, how much do you need to feel rich? And they said 250,000. It's a moving target. Because we always realize what we don't have. Right? The other thing, too, is that the more money you make, the less generous people got. They realized that people in the $50,000 range gave 6% of their income to various charities. But once you got up to 200000 that dropped to 4%. So the more money you had, the more you kept. It's amazing. It's amazing we live in a culture where we've got a lot of money. The question isn't how to become more rich. It's how to deal with the riches that we actually have. Some of us do great with our finances. Some of us, not so much. It's about the matter of the heart. In fact, I didn't share this at the earlier service, but my father-in-law, loving guy, uh, gives me, um, I've got to be candid with you. I don't really understand why he does this. Uh, he gives me a copy of Money Magazine, like, monthly. Cause, and I, I'm not sure if I should take offense to it. Like, he wants me to, like, learn more because I'm, like, terrible with my money. Or, like, he's trying to really help me. So I'm like, thanks, I'll read this. I, but some of us do great with our money. Some of us do terrible with our money. But nonetheless, whether you do good with your money or you're not good with your money, you're rich. In the world standards, you are completely rich. And because of that, we have this scripture here that now we realize because we are rich, we have a danger to avoid, don't we? Look at verse 17 if you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Isn't that great? Don't be arrogant, first off. You've got to avoid being arrogant. Why? Because once we're arrogant, we're not humble. You've got to have an attitude of humbleness if you want to go through life knowing how to be rich. I, I thought about this with, uh, it's not going to be on the uh, service sheet, but in Matthew 19, there's a rich young ruler. Okay? And he comes up to Jesus, he's a rich guy, and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, obey the commandments. And the guy said, I already do that. And Jesus says, okay. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. So Jesus says, okay, you go sell everything. Then you can have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. And what does the guy do? The guy walks away. He's completely sad. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. You could have done that. He absolutely could have sold everything that he had to have salvation. But Jesus realized it's not a matter of what he's giving. It's all a matter of the heart. You see, the guy wants to have self-sufficiency. He's not thinking about how Jesus is going to take care of his needs. He realized he got there on his own, and many of us do. And once we think we've gotten there on our own, then we become arrogant and less humble, and we don't trust him for what's next. That's avoiding being arrogant. Not only that, because we're rich, we have to avoid putting our, our hope in wealth, don't we? Putting our, uh, putting our hope in wealth. It says, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. You know, before in the Reformation... If you think about those indulgences, what were people doing? They were putting their hope in their wealth. They were saying, listen, I have this money, so I'm going to put it somewhere. And that's going to make me have salvation. That's going to bring me eternal life. Some of us have these things where we, the more we have, the more secure we feel. I thought about that this past week when you think about all those, um, all those hurricanes that just happened down in the south, right? You see these houses, these beautiful houses. I remember seeing them on the news and just being like swept swept away. 
I thought, these people lost everything. They had all their, all their stuff in that house, and it's all gone. I also thought about the guy this week, um, he's on the news lately, a guy in Hollywood who you know, had amassed a huge fortune and had a lot of power, thought he could do whatever he wanted, and he, now he's mistreating all these women. And allegation after allegation, now they're going to fire him, he's going to lose everything. That's putting our hope in wealth. It's so uncertain. That's why Luke 12 is so powerful. Jesus tells the parable of the parable of the, the parable of this man, the ground of a certain man, rich, rich man, yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said this, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain. Lay up Laid up for many years, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how you will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. He's saying, listen, you could store up all kinds of stuff. Some of you have so much in your accounts. You go, I have security. It's there. And what the Lord is saying, listen, I don't want you to put your hope in that. I want you to put your hope in me. It's all about your heart. So not only we have a danger to avoid, but according to this passage, we also have a duty to fulfill, don't we? A duty to fulfill. Look at verse 18. It says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. Because we are rich, well, the Bible says, listen, we've got to be generous, we've got to be willing to share. It's a duty that we have. Let me ask you a question. If you knew that you had an unlimited supply of finances, that God was going to continually to supply you, that you would never run out, that your well would never run dry, would you give? Would you be generous? Most of us would say, absolutely, yes, we would. Mm-hmm. The thing is, the Bible says that we are. <laughs> Second Corinthians 9 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It goes on to say that, That we will have an abundance for every good deed. What the Lord is saying, listen, I'm going to provide for you. I just need you to be humble enough to know that you you trust me on this one. Our greatest fear, many of us have these fears that we're not going to have enough. Say, you know, I'm trying to provide for my family. You might be a single mother. Maybe you're a one-income family and you're going, you know, I'm the breadwinner here. I'm fighting that fear every day. You might come into church and go, I'm fighting that fear. It's the biggest anxiety that many people have is finances, having enough. I remember not having enough in college. <laughs> Keeps coming up to college, I don't know why. Uh, I remember um, I was a sophomore, or excuse me, a junior in college. My wife and I um, got married. She was two years older. I was more mature. Um, so she had just, don't tell her that. Uh, I'll get in trouble when I get home. Uh, she had just graduated, and um, we decided to go get married. And I was uh, going to be a junior at Geneva and uh, finish out my two years there. And she was working up here at the church. And I think I told the story a few years back, but we were living at Geneva, and uh, we didn't really have much. But we had an apartment there, and I came home from class and uh, realized our apartment had gotten broken into. So we were robbed. And the first thought went through my mind was, <laughs> joke's on you. We have nothing in this house for you to take. I literally thought that. Like, good luck coming in here. Uh, or thanks, because we were going to take all this stuff to the dumpster anyway. No, I, uh, they didn't take much. They really didn't. I mean, they took... Uh, some curling irons, <laughs> they took a hair dryer, they took a stereo, which now I realize I actually took that stereo from my freshman roommate, so it didn't really matter. And they took our lockbox, you know, so we didn't have much in there, but, you know, we had to change the accounts, and it really made us insecure. 
There was a lot of fear there, like, well, what if they get into our account? What if they rob us dry? We're not going to have enough. I remember coming into church that Sunday, and uh, it was time to take up the tithes and offering. I remember going, you know, we have a duty to fulfill. Command, those, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. And I remember going, you know what, God's going to resupply us here, so I'm not going to worry about it. We're going to give. But there was that fighting that fear of not having enough. And some of us have that fear of not having enough. What the Lord's saying is, hey, listen, I'm going to provide for you. you but you've got to have an attitude of humbleness. And you see, just like that rich young ruler, it had nothing to do with the finances. It had everything to do with his heart. He's saying, the Lord's saying, listen, before you even give a dime to anything, I want to have your heart. Because until I have your heart, you're not going to trust me. And you're going to give grudgingly. You're going to give like this. And you're going to like pry it out of your hand. And the Lord's saying, listen, I don't want you to do that. I just want you to trust me. I want you to sit in the trust that you have for me and be secure in that trust. That's why Sam Storm says our giving is just a reflex of what God's given to us. God's given us so much, hasn't he? Congratulations, you're rich. So not only have a duty to fulfill, a danger to avoid, but remember, there's a dividend to remember. Okay, A dividend to remember. What's a dividend? A dividend is a portion of money that comes back. After an investment. That's why the, verse 19 of your passage there it says this. In this way you will lay up for yourselves treasures for yourselves as firm foundations for the coming age. So that they may take a hold of the life that is truly life. Matthew 6 goes on to say this. Don't store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin destroy where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy. Where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there... Your heart will be also. Leave that up. Because my question to you here today is, where's your heart? You want to be rich? You've got to understand, God's given you everything. You really want to be rich, though? You have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because then you'll know that you'll be forever with him in eternity. And all the other stuff just kind of fades away. You know, one of the things that the reformers, before the reformers, this is the verse that they got hung up on. Because they, they looked at this, especially the people that, that were coming from that Catholic church, that, kind of, and that, that mindset that was there at the time, they thought, okay, where our treasure is, that's where we're going to put, that's where our heart is, so let's give that money, let's give financially to that. And a couple things you've got to realize is that you want to be rich, ultimately rich, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's going to get you through everything. The only way that comes is through faith and grace alone. That's being rich, folks. That's being rich. That's having that security go, you know, no matter what happens in this life, he's going to take care of me. He's going to provide for me. He's going to, he's going to be there. You know, we give souls of men and women who, who, because of our giving, come to know the Lord too. That's a treasure as well that awaits for us in heaven. That we, They're there thanking us for the gifts that we've given so that they can come to know the Lord as well. That's being rich, folks. So the question to you is, where's your heart? Where's your heart today? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Oh, I'm excited about this series. I really am. I'm excited because the Bible talks so much about our finances and it grips so many of us. And my heart's desire is that we aren't so torn up. We don't have so much anxiety. We aren't so gripped by it. And that's what this book can help us with. But it starts with our own attitudes. It starts first with helping us realize that we have, have an attitude of gratitude, not of guilt. As we close here, we're going to come to the communion table. Remember what Christ did and what you're going to hear very well is that 
you don't have to be a member of the church. It's not about a certain denomination to come to communion. It might happen in the Catholic Church where you have to be Catholic here at Christ Church. It's just as long as you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's, that's where you want your heart to be. But I leave you with this because uh, this book talks about this, this illustration. It's really the theory of relativity. relativity. It's, a, it's a great illustration because it's a, it hits us right at home about how to be rich. It was uh, Abraham Maslow. That was, Abraham Maslow was a, he was, he was a psych, psychologist and he talked about hierarchy of needs. And One of the things he says, no matter what culture you come from, we all have a hierarchy of needs. It doesn't matter what age or demographic you are, we all have a, a hierarchy of needs. And he, he developed it like a pyramid. Okay? And the idea is at the bottom of the pyramid, we always want to work up the pyramid. The bottom is basic needs. We all have basic needs. No matter where, what culture you're from, what background you are, we all have basic needs. The first one is food and water. So we all have that need. And we, it starts there. Our food and water. Here's the dilemma. Once you conquer something, uh, you go to the next level. You keep wanting more. And you actually can never get to the top. But the first, first need is food and water. Once we get food and water, then we are concerned about safety and security. And once you have safety and security, and the borders are secure, then it shifts to your emotional needs. You want love and acceptance. You do not care about love and acceptance when you're dying of hunger and thirst. It keeps moving up. And then once you get there, then it turns into luxuries. And at each level, too, it's not only just having food and water, it's getting that better. It's getting it quicker. So at every stage, we want to have better food. We want to have more uh, easy access to water. We want to have better clothes. We want to have a a nicer house. If you've ever bought a house, ever bought a car, ever uh, been in the stock market, you know what I'm talking about. You're always looking up for what you don't have. And the tendency is, is that you're always focused on what's in front of you and you never focus on what's behind you. And that's the dilemma because you realize how far you, you never realize how far you've come until you look back. And as long as you're heading up, you're always focused on what you don't have. And it's not until you stop and turn that pyramid around and realize how far you've come to realize how good God is that you actually can say, man, congratulations, I really am rich. I have a lot more than I realize. We've got so much we do. You've been blessed with so much. My hope and prayer is that you realize that, but my true hope and prayer is that above all, that it's not just about your finances, is that you have a heart for the Lord. Because He loves you, He cares for you, and it's not about the riches, it's not about the money, it's He wants your heart. And that's where it starts. It starts with the heart. Not with finances, not with deeds. It starts with the heart. That's my hope and prayer as we come here today to the communion table. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. I thank you for the boldness of Martin Luther and the reformers to say, hey, that's not what scripture says. The scripture says it's by faith and grace alone. It's not about the money. It's not about how we deal with it. It's really about our own hearts. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you be with each and every person in this room. Maybe they come, came in thinking that this is about money and they realize it's really about their own heart. I pray for that person. Maybe there's one or two in here that have maybe have never come to you, that they're here only because they're trying to check off a list, something, a good deed. Lord, help them to realize that you, you love them. You love them so much that you, you died for them on the cross, that you want to have a relationship with them, with them. And if that's you, it's simple as praying the prayer, saying, Dear Lord Jesus, I understand I am a sinner in need of a Savior, that you died for me, that you love me. 
Lord, I pray that you forgive my sins. I put my faith and trust in you. Oh, Lord, we thank you for saving us. We thank you that it's immediate and right away. Help us to feel that cleansing as we come to the communion table, knowing that you love us, that you died for us, that you want to have a relationship with us. And we can be truly rich because we can spend eternity with you. We thank you. We give you all this. We ask all this in your precious name.